Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining me today on this episode. Today, we are talking about the Prophetic Lab. Maybe you are already asking, what is the Prophetic Lab? I heard about it a few weeks ago and decided to look into it, having been part of the prophetic movement myself. I've been doing hours of research, reading, listening to interviews and informative videos pertaining to the Prophetic Lab. And after doing this, I believe it is worth addressing. Now, there's quite a bit to cover, and this will be a two-part podcast. We will be talking about Aqua Regia, the Prophetic Lab, along with the prophetic reports produced from this business. And yes, this is a business. And we will be talking about social media activity, and I'll be sharing numerous audio clips. After looking at this, I hope you will come away understanding that this is something to avoid and to also warn others about in participating. In order to understand the foundation of the Prophetic Lab, it will require us to look at its founder, Lindsay Ryman. Now, this is not an attack on her personally, nor do I want to disparage her in any way. But this is to do as Scripture instructs us, which is to test the spirits and to examine beliefs according to Scripture as this affects the view of the Prophetic Lab and reports. This affects the view of prophecy and evangelism. It affects the gospel presentation, and I have great concerns that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is found nowhere in this, and I'm not even sure that Lindsay has heard the true gospel based on some of the things I've heard her say in interviews, and after listening, I I come away with genuine concern uh, to her comments on evangelism and the gospel. And I also have serious concerns that other influences are at play here and that many are being led astray. I want to encourage you to pray for Lindsay, those working with her, and those who are seeking out hidden knowledge and engaging in this business, and pray for their eyes to be open to the truth and for God's true gospel to be presented so that repentance and regeneration is evident. This has been one of the most difficult topics I've covered to date, partly because I see my old self in several areas being perpetuated in Lindsay's beliefs, such as her experiences and her view of the prophetic. And though this was indeed frustrating at times, this is presented with truth in love. And with that, we're going to get started. So just so you know what the prophetic lab is, it is said to be an equipping center for the church. This lab actually originated at Bethel a few years ago while Lindsay was a student at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Its mother company is Aqua Regia, a spiritual intelligence for-profit company. The main focus of the company is to provide reports and solutions for the world. That's quoted on their website. It utilizes, quote, prophecy, word of knowledge, dream interpretation, strategic intercession, and discernment to unlock practical solutions in professional and personal realms of those we serve, end quote. This all comes from the website. And they say they are, quote, committed to Jesus Christ and our purpose is to build the kingdom of God on earth, end quote. As you're going to see as we go on from today uh, and even next week, you're going to see that there is a focus on encounters or experience. The prophetic reports they do involve compiling insight into how heaven sees you. This is, again, on their website what God has planned for you, and how you can partner with him to the promises over your life realized. Now, this last part, it seems to infer that unless you do something, God cannot do in your life what he wants to do, which would ultimately deny God's sovereignty and omnipotence. So I'm not exactly sure, uh, reading that statement, especially that last part, how you can partner with him to the promises over your life realized, what that exactly means, what, what they mean by that. 
but when reading that, it, it would seem the takeaway is, well, if you don't do this, then God can't do this. And we know that God is not limited in his abilities to do anything, that, that his sovereignty is not limited, his omnipotence is not limited, he is God. Lindsay talks about how the labs came to be in this interview with Ben Armstrong from Bethel. I'm going to share several clips with you today from different interviews that she did and and teachings. Her and Ben talk about people receiving prophecy in Hollywood and going to events and parties replacing the psychics. Ben poses the question to her, stating these very things right before she answers. This interview took place in 2019 when she was the prophetic director of outreach at Bethel and she was running the prophetic labs before they became a business. So let's listen in for just a little bit. How did this kind of happen? Come about. Um, For two years, I was having these supernatural encounters and I didn't really understand them. And they all seemed sort of separate situations where God was talking to me. Yeah. And um, one thing that happened a few times was I would have these open visions of trees. Yeah. I actually didn't even know they were open visions. Yeah. I kept thinking it was scientific because they would happen in the morning when I would wake up yeah. and I would see this realm and then a screen would open up and I would see just like a forest. I would just yeah. see trees. And I thought at the time like, oh, my brain is still dreaming and it doesn't know that my eyes are awake, right? I didn't yeah. know, they, I didn't know yeah. this term open vision yet, right? Yeah. And one day in second year, I went to Ben Armstrong's advanced dream interpretation class, and he was talking about uh, when Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Yeah. And you taught, you said the trees represent leaders. Yep. And that the tree represented the king. And yep. suddenly it was like the penny dropped. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I looked past two years of my encounters, and yeah. I realized but they all pointed back to the book of Daniel. So a few things to take note of here. The book of Daniel is going to be mentioned for quite a bit of time here. And it's going to be the foundation uh, for her life personally, when you listen to the the interviews and I'm going to, I'm going to post all the links to everything. So she makes the book of Daniel, her foundation, it sounds like for her life, as far as how she conducts her life, um, the prophetic lab, how it's conducted, but the book of Daniel is not meant to be prescriptive for our lives. It, it is a descriptive account in the Old Testament of men such as Daniel who lived in Babylonian captivity and who served the true living God. And yes, it is called the book of Daniel, but the central focus is on God and his power. And there are also types and shadows pointing back to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, which is, is fascinating when you begin to read it, and, and it's really beautiful. We're, when we're not told to model our lives after Daniel, we're actually told to follow Christ. And as you will see, her life is going to be modeled after Daniel. For example, she interviewed with Chris Vallotton in July of last year, and she shared an encounter with him tying into the Daniel theme of her life. And it was in my second. My second year of BSSM that I had a calling encounter and here's what happened I was at this woman's house and I was in a living room I was by myself and there was this giant painting of a giraffe in front of me right so I'm sitting there this is getting good okay just wait <laughs> so it's gonna get better I don't, I don't think I heard the story okay, you haven't so <laughs> so the presence of God just to make it clear, this is the first time that I could hear this uh, this story retold on any interview. She, this is the only time I've ever heard her say this in public, to my knowledge. And so that feels like like a weighty presence starts to, yeah. to roll in. And I'm sitting there, and suddenly I hear the phrase, what do you see? Now, 
in this moment, I want to be clear, it's not an audible voice. It yeah. is internal, but it's so loud that I was yeah. like, what? It's intense. Yeah, I was like, did that just happen? Is that real? And so I'm kind of like in the in the confusion of it all. And then the voice insists again, this time being more like, what do you see? And so I'm sitting there and I'm staring. I see a giraffe. A hundred percent. That's what I went to oh, say. That would be funny. So my mouth, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be like, a giraffe. But instead, I hear myself singing. Now, here's the thing. This is where it becomes sort of mystical and you're like, I don't know how to explain this, except yeah. I am kind of having an out-of-body experience. I can hear myself singing a song, but I don't know what the song is. And let me tell you something. It is a very funny feeling to be singing a song and listening and not knowing what you're are, singing. Are you actually singing a song or it's is it like more the like, Holy Spirit like, is or like a vision? No, like the Holy Spirit is singing out of my mouth. That's but you actually physically are singing but, a song. Yeah, but I'm that, not in that control. You that you don't know. This, you don't yeah, know the song. exactly. I'm not in control of my body. So it's yeah. almost like I'm out here and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, I, so Body snatchers. Right. The Holy Spirit's the ultimate body, body snatcher. Yeah. Totally. So sci-fi. So anyways, so check this out. So I can tell this is all happening fast and slow at the yeah. same time. And I'm like, I can tell that when we get to the chorus... I'm going to recognize the song. So when the voice said, what do you see? I uncontrollably responded with, I see trees of green and red roses too. Oh my gosh. I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The will, uh, yeah. Uh, Louis Armstrong. Louis song. Ar I should know this. Sorry. The Louis Armstrong song. Yeah. Right. And so suddenly, and then all, it like stops, and then I'm like back in the real world, and I just start crying, and I'm like, what was that? She goes on to say in this interview that God confirmed to her through Chris's teaching on prophets that she is a prophet based on a passage in Jeremiah that he expounds upon about the almond tree. She then recalls the same story she just relayed to Ben Armstrong in the Bethel prophetic clip we heard a few minutes ago about her encounters and such. So let's pick back up with her talking with Chris. So I'm walking around with this revelation, right? But in this same time period, I'm having these dreams and encounters, and I don't really know what they mean until one day I'm in Ben Armstrong's advanced dream interpretation class, okay? And he's talking about how we have this biblical model for trees representing kings and leaders. Yeah. Okay. So this is important to me because I had had these two open visions where I was just looking at trees. We're going to address that in a few minutes about Daniel 4 and take a look at Daniel to see the, the relevance of the trees and talk about descriptive versus prescriptive and, and a few other things to consider in talking about this. So all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. This was like the penny drop moment. Yeah. I realized the open visions are pointing to Daniel. I started looking at some dreams that I was having. They're pointing to Daniel. Like I started having patterns. Like I... In second year, I'm so new to the faith, I thought I created my own fast. I was like, I'm not going to eat meat or cheese and I'm, or caffeine. I'm just going to fast. And they're like, Daniel fast. You're doing the Daniel fast. I was like, <laughs> I am? I don't know. And so I was walking around with this, like, some. it's something about Daniel. Here's the embarrassing part. For two weeks, I'm unlocking this Daniel thing until one day I'm sitting at the light to turn left to go up the hill to Bethel. And the Holy Spirit was like, Lindsay, What? is your middle name. And I was like, oh, my middle name's Danielle. And that was the moment wow. where I was like, oh, and guess who else's middle name is Danielle? Oh, sorry, Daniel. Who's? Louis 
Armstrong. That's his middle name? That's his middle name. So suddenly I'm like, it's a Daniel call. <laughs> okay. So we're like, we're figuring this out, right? I love the Lord connecting dots and clues. Wow. That's what I do with Prophetic Lab. And so that is what sent me on my journey. And that's how my prophetic and call that- We can see now even more where the the uh, influence of Daniel from Scripture is playing into um, her foundation for what she's setting for her life personally and also for the business, for Aqua Regia and for the Prophetic Lab. She tells in another interview with Chris how she was asked in the same manner as Daniel to tell a business owner his dream and to give a solution to it and how an angel came to her the night before and prayed for her. She references in several interviews and even in a webinar for the Prophetic Lab about some of these events. And it, it is clear that Daniel is the model for her life. So let's return to the interview with Ben as she continues to explain some things further. Suddenly, while I was sitting there, uh, what they call like a download, yeah. <laughs> this idea just, it flew into me and I started seeing like, I was like, wait a minute, like Daniel prophesied in Babylon. Yeah outside the four walls of the church yeah. using the gifts of the spirit and mysticism to unlock solutions from heaven for practical earthly purposes like guiding a nation. I'm going to jump ahead a, a little bit for time's sake and I'm trying to keep and I'm keeping things in the context here but she's going to continue to expound on this. They're talking a little bit in between here about what their definition is of mysticism and we're going to skip forward just a little bit to hear some more she expounds on this again, the foundation for her life, as well as this business that she's created for ministering prophecy if, uh, for the, through the prophetic labs to individuals and even businesses. So um, basically, I started getting this idea and I started writing it down yeah. about this idea of, I didn't have language for it yet. So yeah. I called it like a spiritual think tank or a group of people that pray. Yeah. I didn't have words for it yet that like lives behind businesses or films or something and and help to find solutions. And so Ben later, months later, came to our second year class to speak to everyone. Yeah. And I was, this idea was happening and I'm like, I think I have an idea and I'm planning it. And I'm like, who should I talk to about this? Yeah. And then he comes the second year and then speaks. He's like, God's going to start encountering everybody now. As the interview goes on, she tells of how a lady she knows who does events in Hollywood invited her and the prophetic group to it to replace the psychics. We can see from here now that she's transitioning into talking about from her personal experience to how the prophetic labs came to be. And I hope that you can see the connection here that her personal life is intertwined with the making of the prophetic labs. And again, the foundation, and we, we need to look at this foundation to say, okay, is this based on the foundation of scripture? Is this based on the foundation of the gospel? Because there's going to be some talk in in here, as you'll hear this morning, as you'll hear in this podcast about the gospel involved in the prophetic labs. But again, there's some concern as to the understanding of the gospel here. So we're going to pick back up and listen to what they said about replacing the psychics at an a Hollywood event that they were invited to, and they went as a, at the time in 2019. This business, the Aqua Regia, was yet to to come to fruition just yet. She uh, was the director of the outreach again at Bethel, and she was also over the prophetic labs at that point. She was doing an internship, if, is my understanding in these interviews. She was a second year BSM SM student, 
and she was doing an internship in the third year in the prophetic uh, area, the prophetic department, to learn more and to do some experimenting is what they refer to it as. So let's listen more um, as far as what happened with the uh, prophetic, prophetic labs and the replacing of psychics. Um, tell it, tell <laughs> us about that. I mean, yeah. I loved it. it was... Yeah, yeah. Um, I took so, it to it like fish to water. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just a friend of mine was doing just kind of this like um, big production type party in Hollywood. Part parties in Hollywood are like quite the thing. Yeah. And um, she just called me one day and she's like, hey, we're doing this like Alice in Wonderland themed event. And we were going to have um, dream interpreters and um, fortune tellers. And she's like, don't you kind of do the same thing? And I was like, I mean, kind of different source and different point, but yes. Let me make a point about that. Yeah, let's make a point. Because uh, Daniel wasn't afraid to be called a magician, an enchanter, and be uh, titled with all of them. He knew who he was. He knew his own identity. So titles and... Those things don't define you when you know your relationship with God. Yep. So we're okay when people say, hey, don't you do that stuff? You know, uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So again, Daniel is the model here for for all of this, as, as we're seeing. Um, Lindsay views Aqua Regia, which again, I know Aqua Regia wasn't created at the time, but it's going to be, when this is 2019, it comes along pretty soon after this. Aqua Regia is going uh, outside the four walls and into, quote, Babylon settings as modeling the prophetic after Daniel. This is how she views it. And she posed the question in one of her videos, how can we get the gospel into other realms of society? She states in one of her videos that they were counted as one of the magicians like Daniel. Is that what's taking place? Is the gospel going forth in these types of practices that are going on? Now, at this point, it would help us to understand Daniel 4 in context, since this is the model for prophecy here being stated and for personal life. But Daniel 4 tells of a pagan king having a dream needing interpretation. This dream was not for encouragement, but rather it was judgment. We know about the, in Daniel 4, when you read this account, it was a massive tree. It had branches and leaves and fruit in it and food and all, every every living thing uh, gleaned from it and was blessed by it. But we see that the tree is cut down. The stump is left in the ground. Uh, the band of iron and bronze is attached to it. And then it takes on the mind of a beast and begins to stay in that place. And it says he would lose his mind for seven periods of time. And in verse 25 in Daniel 4, it says, Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. In verse 27, this is vital. So I'm going to read verse 27 to you from Daniel 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27, Daniel is uh, relaying the meaning of the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So this is a call to repentance that, that Daniel is giving the king, and it's a type and shadow of the gospel that we're seeing in the Old Testament. We know that this dream indeed came to pass and that this did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. And going on into chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar's reasoning returned to him and he blessed the Most High. And also it's important to notice something too that kind of caught my attention. Notice that it was not Daniel who had this dream about trees. It was not his vision that he had, but it was a pagan king's dream that he was interpreting about a tree. 
And again, this is not prescriptive. There's descriptive passages in scripture and there's prescriptive passages. The descriptive are telling us accounts that took place. Certainly we can be encouraged by those. But then there's the prescriptive passages that are giving us instruction. And we're not instructed in scripture to model our lives after Daniel, to do the things that were done, but we're given this account in scripture to see what happened when they were in Babylonian captivity and that there were still there were still a remnant of believers among the pagans and among the Israelites that were still worshiping the true living God. And God's power was on display through that, his omnipotence, his sovereignty, again, All of his attributes were on display there, his mercy, his judgment. So we can see all of those things taking place in there and that this is the true living God versus the false gods that the pagans worshiped like Nebuchadnezzar. We're now going to hear about an interaction that took place in Hollywood with an influential actor and uh, with one of these prophetic reports. And one of the friends of this actor requested a prophetic report for his birthday. And so... This actor was an unbeliever. She tells the story of this unidentified Hollywood actor. All the the recipients of these prophetic reports are assigned codes. We'll get into that more next week. But here's what happened and the conclusion from that experience. So um, I have a series of people. I call them gatekeepers and handlers. Um, So sometimes report recipients will come straight to me. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it will come for through someone in their life. A gatekeeper. Yeah, they're like... For example, I had a girl come to me, and she was a part of this um, actor's entourage. And she's like, hey, I want to get him a prophetic report for his birthday. And he's not a believer. Yeah. So I was like, okay, great. She's, I was like, give me, make up a code name. And so we did it. And in the beginning of the book, it says the methodology. Yeah. And the gatekeeper is confirming that they didn't give the, the real name. But here's the thing. So we sent this report in, and because it's Hollywood, they put the report in an aluminum case, like suitcase, like, you know, top secret. Yeah, top secret. This <laughs> yeah. is code yeah. for your eyes only. This is you my know. favorite testimony. Um, it will self-destruct in exactly. five seconds. Exactly. just like, I love my Hollywood friends. So they, like, opened it up, and he's like, what is this? And she's like, this is the prophetic. These people didn't know who you were, and they prayed for you, and this is the, the information they got, like, happy birthday. And so he just immediately, like, reads it in front of his entourage, and he begins to cry, which I was told he'd never done before. And he was like, even if these people did know who I was, he's like, there's stuff in here that nobody knows. Therefore, it can only be from God. And he has been discipled ever since then. And that was the moment, too, where we were like, it's evangelistic. (laughs) I was just doing it for believers at this point, but we were like, wait a minute, what's possible with this? I hope you caught that at the end about she said that they realized it was evangelistic. She mentioned about the unidentified actor that he was discipled, but we don't know who he was discipled by. We don't know if he did indeed receive salvation. We don't even know if he actually heard the gospel. This is all going on a prophetic report that he received that he was um, allegedly enamored by, that he was emotionally moved by, that there were private details known about him that only God could have known. There's a lot of people that acknowledge God, but they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't acknowledge their need for a Savior. They do not acknowledge that Christ came to pay the penalty for our sins and to provide redemption and restoration, reconciliation back to the Father. They, they don't acknowledge that. So we're going on an experience here, uh, an, an anecdotal experience that she's relaying to us 
that this man was discipled by someone, and we don't know who. We don't know what that means, what that entails. We don't know if he really heard the gospel, and we don't know what he believes. He could be being discipled in something that's not based in Christianity, that's not based in biblical understanding. That's a big question. When I heard this clip, I thought, did he hear the full gospel? And people being impressed by God in, in, quote, Babylon does not equate to salvation. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, the Prophetic Lab has done reports with many different people of different faiths and even atheists, uh, according to Lindsay, and this has sparked conversations and even encounters. We are going to look more in depth next week on what is involved in these reports. I have many concerns with all of this, but the greatest concern I have is that the gospel is not being presented And I'm going to share with you why. During Lindsay's interview with Ben Armstrong, she says this about what takes place sometimes after events Aquaregia participates in. Many times the feedback we get is, oh, we've had psychics do this before, Mm -hmm. but we've never felt like what what we feel like when you guys do this for us. Yeah. So there's something special going on. No, absolutely. And there's been many people that have like left the parties I've learned, like have continued to like reach out or ask questions about God. And after the party, I'll just give them the full Jesus enchilada. I'm like, yeah, I totally know all that because of Jesus. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, um, and yeah, but we are careful of how we present. Yeah. And when we're at the party, uh, we don't try to like hardcore evangelize, but I call him by all his other names, right? Like unconditional love, spirit of truth. So there's when we're doing uh, events like this, we're there to serve people and they've asked us to come to serve. Yeah. And and that's our job is to serve them. Um, and so when they set up boundaries, you can't say Jesus Christ. Okay. That's fine. We we can still evangelize without saying his name. Yeah. Um, but then although, by my third party, I grew in favor. Yeah. And then they were like, you can. They started just you being like, you can say you God, want. you can say Holy Spirit, like because I honored what they asked. And now we're just now we're just doing it. <laughs> so listening to that clip, uh, there's a few things that were red flags. Let me ask you this question to think about with this. Does the scripture agree with the method they just described? Is that how the three and Daniel conducted themselves? Is that how Daniel conducted himself in Babylon? Is that how believers in Christ in the, in the, the new covenant, the new Testament, is that how they conducted themselves? There was a mention that for one thing that we can still minister the gospel without the name of Jesus. There's no way that we can do that. And we don't improvise with all of his other names. And it, it kind of it kind of concerns me that, you know, she says that she gained favor with them and that she was able to use the name God and Holy Spirit. But I'm sure they would be okay if they didn't have an understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to do. Do you see the point that I'm getting at here? A couple of things to take away from this and to consider. Uh, Matthew 10, 32 through 33, Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me, He's referring to himself before men. I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father who is in heaven. I, I don't understand what the Jesus enchilada is, what that in, entails, what, what is in the Jesus enchilada. 
I also think of Acts 4, where Peter and John are imprisoned for healing the lame man. So I want to share that with you as well, a few verses from that, in case you, uh, just, to, just to give us a refresher on that, the, near the beginning, right after Pentecost, uh, Peter and John are going to the, to the temple, and they pass this man that has been lame, and he is begging for money. He's always at the gate of the, the beautiful gate every day begging for money. And he sees Peter and John coming towards him and he thinks he's going to get money. And Peter says to him, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you freely. Rise up and walk. He immediately, and that's the word that's used. He's, he immediately, this is a miracle. This is a verified miracle in scripture that takes place. He gets up on his legs. He starts leaping and praising God, and it causes some mixed emotions. Well, the, the council in that time, the Jewish council, they're very upset that this is going on, and they're not quite sure what to do with Peter and John. And so we're going to pick up with uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. It says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So even in the early church, the early Acts church, there were the miracle signs and wonders that took place through the apostles. They also accompanied the gospel. The gospel was never absent from that. And I'm not seeing the gospel presented here clearly. It's not presented. We don't give the Jesus enchilada. Verses 5 through 12 help us to see that they are not denying the name of Christ. And they are in the midst of people who are going to tell them not to use the name of Christ. Because they see the boldness of Peter and John, and they begin to tell them in verse 18, they say, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak to no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This should help us to see we are always to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. We don't need to find substitutes. We're not told to do that in scripture. Yes, there are other names for God, but we are told to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we must say his name. We cannot deny saying that. Now, this type of language and honoring people that they mentioned to and not using the name of Jesus reminded me of an interview that Jenny Hodge did a few years ago about Christ alignment. And she said this with regards to their interactions with people using destiny card readings for their ministry. So I'm going to play a little bit of this for you because it is relevant to this. And I'm not sure if there's some influence from this or what's going on, but it did remind me of this. So let's listen in for a little bit. Now, when you're uh, encountering some of these people, I know the question is going to be asked, do you ever have opportunity to lead them to Christ or, you know, what kind of language might you use uh, if there was yeah. any desire there? 
over half of all the clients in the God encounter are actually meeting Jesus as the gift giver, as the spirit of truth personally themselves. Did you hear the reference there? The spirit of truth? Uh, Lindsay referred to unconditional love, that she doesn't refer to Jesus during these prophetic reports or when they're doing these events. She doesn't say the name of Jesus unless she's gained favor with some of the people, and then she'll say the name uh, God and the Holy Spirit. She still didn't acknowledge it. She says the name of Jesus. She may very well, but regardless of that, do you see that the, the potential connection that could be going on here? Let's keep going. And they are talking to him personally themselves. And they're having a one-on-one encounter with him. We have been criticized for this as well because people, Christians have said, well, how can, how can that be? And it's the same way that Muslims are having dreams about him as well. Yeah. The, the bottom line is he doesn't care how he does it and he doesn't care what vessel he uses through it. He wants people and he wants to show up to people in any way that he can. And if you give him the chance, which we are, these new ages are spiritually hungry and they're searching for something spiritual. And they're open already. They're open. And they need to hear the gospel. That would be the solution that we have for that. That's the answer. It's not an experience or a supernatural encounter that they could be led astray further and even deceived by an angel of light. Everyone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one more very short clip from Jenny that I'm going to share, and then we're going to jump back in to uh, the interviews with Lindsay and some of the things that she shared. I hope that this is being helpful to you so far, and I hope that you're it's giving you some food for thought and things to consider with this. There's one more clip I want to play with Jenny that I think is relevant. It's up to them. There's no magic words. They have to That's make a choice. Exactly right. And and we really don't even like the term um, evangelism. And we don't like the term conversion. I'm because sorry, I we're used not, it. Yeah, we're not, I know, we're, it's okay. We're not out to convert them. We're actually, we want to honor them like Jesus really did with the Samaritan woman. Now, the reason why I played that very short clip, I know that Lindsay didn't say that they don't evangelize. But her and Jenny say something very similar, and even Ben agreed with this, is that they want to honor people in the, in the atmospheres that they're going into, the events that they're going to. And though I understand want to be respectful to people, there's some similarities here that there's, it seems like that they're sharing the same mindset in these things. They're willingly going into these events and being okay with being viewed as psychics, but wanting to say that the gospel is being presented and, but using methodologies that are not laid out in scripture, neither, neither one of them, there's no methodology that you're going to see with the prophetic lab. It's a double blind methodology. We'll talk more about that next week that they use. This is not modeled in scripture. And so this should be, uh, this should be a major red flag. When something is presented a new concept, a new revelation, a new idea, and it is not found anywhere as far as a instruction in scripture for us to follow then this is brings great cause for concern. There is one more clip I want to play for you from an interview Lindsay did in May of 2021. And in the interview, she asked, she is asked about the centrality of the gospel in prophesying to people. For, for people that there, there's a lot of people that are tuning in that are very familiar with the prophetic and that are very comfortable with the prophetic. But for the off chance that we have a couple of people that are tuning in for the first time and maybe they grew up Lutheran or they grew up Baptist. Um, and I, I just want to, I want to speak to, Biblically, can you just give us like just like a real short like 
biblically, prophecy is central, correct? Prophecy is central? Like, like when it comes to preaching the gospel, when it comes to releasing, um, like what Jesus told us to release on the earth, what is the, like for the, for someone who's maybe tuning in and it's like, they're like, uh, wait a minute. So someone wanted you to replace fortune tellers. How does that work? Like, let's say they grew up in a church where they've never even had once, or they thought that prophesying was for the one expert prophet that came into town once every three years. Yeah. So, I mean, the prophetic is a conversation with God and it's releasing God's voice. That's, that's what it is. And I was not in the church during that time. I hear there was a time where like the prophet came to church and there was like the man of God, but like, um, it's everybody. It's our good. Jesus died for this. It's our inheritance to hear the voice of God and to release his voice. Now of all the things that were said in all these interviews that I listened to and and the reading that I've done to research this, this response, this was one of the final interviews that I listened to. And this was really alarming to me. Because this is not the reason why Jesus Christ died. He died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to the Father by him cleansing us of unrighteousness with his, with his righteousness. He took the penalty of sin on our behalf that we deserved, and by his resurrection, he gives us the promise of eternal life. And when the full gospel in accordance with Scripture is proclaimed, there is no greater prophecy because it is God's word testifying of his son and of redemption that only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's one other final clip that's part of this that's attached I want to share with you that she also had this to say about psychics. Psychics out there um, are just um, prophets and prophetesses who gifting has been anointing anointed by the wrong spirit, but they're just like, they're gifted children of God. Yeah. Yeah. That maybe just got under the influence of the demonic or got under the influence of maybe were oppressed at some point and didn't know where to even take their gift or, or whatever. And so I found that comment interesting and they both agreed on that, which person is only a child of God if they have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. The words explicitly tells us that apart from Christ, we are children of disobedience. We are children of wrath. We are enemies of God. We're enemies of the cross. We are separated from God. We are dead. We're spiritually dead. So the the things that she's saying do not agree with scripture. And, and it seems like she's coming from a place of wanting to be sincere and wanting to love people. But as I've said before, even about myself, when I was in this movement, sincerity is means nothing. It, sincerity is not what defines the truth. What is contained in the word of God is what defines the truth because it testifies of Christ. And there are other comments made in that interview, such as talking about playing in the prophetic, playtime with the Holy Spirit. These are these are verbatim quotes. And the angels are bored. And these types of comments sadden me as there seems to be a lack in understanding of the reverence of God, the power of true prophecy, which should testify of Jesus Christ. And e- even not acknowledging that scripture is prophecy. The, and not understanding forthtelling in that there's there's always this hunger for foretelling and also doing impromptu prophetic words you're the one that's actually in charge of it and again we don't see that model in scripture that you're just able to to whiz up a prophetic word uh, off uh, just off the top of your head or a, in a whim you're able to do that there's also a lack of understanding the role of angels based on what the Bible explains to us and that angels are not bored. They're worshiping God. Uh, They were created to worship God. They do not live for us. They exist for him. 
And yes, they minister to his people, but they, like us, were made to glorify and to worship God. Now, one final thing to discuss that also brings pause when talking about the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were several interviews I listened to and observed, but I also came across the founder of the Prophetic Lab's website. It is called mysocalledspirituallife.com. There is no way for me to cover everything found on there in detail, but I want to try and highlight some areas for testing and for consideration. And let me also say this is that I have found recent uh, interviews as far as a month ago that, that Lindsay gave. She references this website. So this is not something that was done several years ago, and it's it's, it's gone by the wayside. She points people to that website to understand her testimony better. Just take that into consideration. And again, I don't mean this in a disparaging way. It's there on online to see. And if you don't know it's there, then I'm pointing you in that direction so you can see, again, the foundation that she's coming from and to test test these things and say, did she receive the gospel? Does she know Christ? Could she tell us what the gospel is? Could she explain that and expound on it based from scripture rather than experiences or, in, or encounters? That's the concern. This this is a serious matter here. When we're talking about eternity, this is not playtime. This is serious time. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, should be treated with the same reverence because he is, God is, God the Father is God, Jesus Christ the Son of God is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are all to be treated with the same amount of reverence and holiness. The the concept of saying, uh, you know, having this concept of Jesus is my boyfriend type thing, and the Holy Spirit, a daddy God, and, 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 try, and hear me, I understand that he is our father, God the Father. But there is a lack of reverence at the same time for for the Trinity, for those that are part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a lack of reverence. It's it's playtime. We're going to play with the Holy Spirit. I would test that spirit. That's what I would say. If if you're having playtime with the Holy Spirit, you need to test that spirit because this is not modeled in Scripture. In her About section on her website, we see in January 2014 that Lindsay says she had to come to a conclusion that if God was real or not, and she prayed a prayer after having a conversation with a roommate about a girl who had Jesus walk into her room, and her prayer went something like this according to her, Hey God, I need to know if you're real. I want a supernatural experience. I want a story. She says 11 months later that came to pass and it started in Thailand. She has seven chapters on her website that are completed. There's an eighth one that's yet to have anything done. If you choose to check out her site, be warned. It has some colorful language and other material that may upset some. I'm going to briefly highlight the main points as we have much to cover today. Most of her interviews surrounding her testimony begin with a movie at a cemetery in L.A. and seeing a lady she kind of knew. The talk of going to Thailand came up in the conversation, and the lady said she was going to Thailand as well. They talked about going together, with Lindsay going on a missions trip with the lady. Within a week, Lindsay had a Skype interview with what seems to be Bethel or BSSM. It's not really clear. But she ends up going on a 40-day trip to Thailand with 12 people with BS- from BSSM. And Lindsay poses, says it, it this way, that it was 11 students and the 12th was the Holy Spirit. At the time in 2014, she had attended a church, not Bethel, but she makes it clear that she was, quote, not exactly a dedicated churchgoer or even believer at the time. She said, you could say I was dating Jesus in a very noncommittal, casual L.A. way, a seeing other people kind of thing, end quote. So it would seem an unbeliever was invited to go on a missions trip and was interviewed 
and actually approved to go. She tells of being in services where people were falling down, including the leader of the trip while he tried to speak. She notes people laughing uncontrollably in services and acting drunk. The services keep progressing in this fashion, and she tells of being fascinated, skeptical, weirded out, and then over it. During one service, she is allowed to pray for an elderly lady with noticeably uneven legs, following the instruction to command the leg to grow. Nothing happens the first time. At this point, Lindsay is an unbeliever. To summarize, she tells of the lady being healed, the leg growing out, and praying for another lady getting her knee healed. She says the service resulted in gold dust being everywhere in the room. She soon begins to doubt what happened and to rationalize it, and she admits to Jesus, quote, Look, I don't really love you. I'm actually just not that into you. Can you help me out here? Can you help me fall in love with you? End quote. She tells of going to a different city and people coming to her and giving her gifts right after this happened, such as money, clothing, jewelry, etc., telling her that God told them to do these things for her. She begins to ask if Jesus is wooing her with these gifts, picturing him dress shopping for her. He was speaking her love language, according to her. The day after all of this, she says that he began to give her spiritual gifts. And again, at this point, she is an unbeliever. After this, she is invested in what they are teaching. She begins to pay attention to the speakers during the services. One of the leaders comes to her and says, Hey, I see you in your Bible, highlighting things and writing in your notebook. I think you should go on an information diet for three days. No books, no Bible, no internet, no information. She agrees, saying, quote, I'm intrigued by this challenge. I've also never heard a Christian tell me not to read my Bible. That is a first, and I'm into this left turn, end quote. She relays an account happening two days later of her being able to prophesy to several different people, seeing things in the Spirit like a 3D viewmaster. After this, she recalls a prayer from a week prior that she said, Look, in order for me to believe, you're going to have to do something for me. This is what she says to God. This is where she has a radical encounter with God that she refers to in her testimonies that you hear in interviews, but she never really expounds on it. She says that a young man prayed for her at a service, touching the center of her hand with his thumb. While he is praying for her, he begins screaming. She says she felt nothing, and after he walked off, she began to feel heat in both her hands going into her arms. She called it having fire sticks in her arms. She says, quote, it felt like magic, not in a Harry Potter way, but in a there is something else going on that we can't see. And now I feel like anything is possible kind of magic. I ended up on the ground crying uncontrollably with my fire rod arms for who knows how long. And then poof, it just stopped. But now I am transformed. This is a turning point for me. I believe. Now, having heard all of this and understanding her background, can we see the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented to her and her telling of the full gospel? Sadly, no, we don't. The focus was on experiences, and she believes her prayer was answered by God in having a supernatural experience and having her own story. This is what caused her to believe, but believe what exactly? And not only that, she was, she was instructed by a leader. She was instructed by a leader at BSSM to not read, according to her, to not read her Bible for three days. And then when she did that, that is when she began to know how to prophesy and that she started seeing visions over people and such. Are we told to do that? Is this how prophecy truly works? Are we told to fast from reading the word of God? When are we ever told to do that? When are we, when are we told to seek after these encounters and experiences and that that defines us as Christians, as born again believers in Christ? I say that not in a mocking way, but in concern for her eternity and others who hold to such beliefs. There is so much that has been said and so much more to be said. 
But we should understand that getting the gospel right matters. When we teach and tell others that the gospel depends upon miracles, signs, and wonders, otherwise it is powerless, then we miss Christ. And the greatest miracle of a dead man, you and I, being brought to life by faith in Jesus Christ. The full gospel is centered upon God atoning for the sins of rebellious human beings who apart from him are dead and under his wrath. That atoning, that satisfaction was found in the Lamb of God, who was slain on a cross to wash us clean and to give us eternal life as he is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. If by chance anyone who is participating in this would hear this podcast, I pray that you will return to the Word of God for truth and test yourself to see if you are even in the faith, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test to see that you have heard the gospel according to Scripture. And I sincerely pray that there are ears to hear the truth of the Word of God and to understand the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.